Uh, good morning. <clears throat> glad you're with us today. I'm glad um, to see. Um, it always just does my heart so great just to uh, worship with the family of God together. And um, you can do that in many settings and with, di- and with many different styles of songs. Um, I've seen some older saints um, sing from the very depths of their heart hymns that are hundreds of years old. And uh, hopefully even this week as our, uh, our VBS kids camp, day camp, whatever we're calling that thing, they gather, I hope, to hear these young little ones sing again from the depths of their heart. Um, we're in the midst of a, a series called The Summer of Hope, and this is on the middle of your table. I invite you just to grab one if you got one in the middle of the table. And these are our church planters, and um, during the Summer of Hope, uh, we highlight uh, our four different kind of uh, missional initiatives, mission directives, um, and we've talked about our adopted people group in Southeast Asia and those serving them, and our kids are writing letters, and we're trying to encourage them. Many of them are going, can you imagine the pandemic that we've walked through, walking through this thousands of miles from home in a foreign country? Um, and not fitting in with the culture, so we're praying for them. Um, Last week, we uh, talked about our adoptive families, those that are involved in foster care, um, and there's uh, a dozen probably or more here at the church that are in some process of that, and you heard from uh, Robin and some of what God did in her journey in this, Robin and Kobe. Uh, Today, we're going to interview Stephen here in a little bit, and um, uh, most of uh, our time this morning is going to be that, but I want to share just a few minutes with you. Um, before we get to that, just something that's just really been on my heart. And if you brought a Bible with you, would you open it real quickly to James chapter 2? James chapter 2. We've been in this series of James. As I recap last week, we went through six, we went through most of the, of the book, and then we, uh, then we stopped for Advent, and we did our season of Advent, and then we started with kind of a uh, kind of vision for the new year of 2020. Hadn't 2020 been great? Um, should have preached that, that series a little longer, I guess. And then, uh, and then we were going to get right back in James, but then the pandemic hit and we were recording from our offices. And so I wanted, it to, I wanted us to wrap up some of the greatest things in James we hadn't covered yet. So we've been working on that. To recap uh, the book of James, ultimately its real theme is authentic faith. What does real faith look like? What is a faith that really works? What is a faith that really works? And this, it all kind of hinges on this one passage, and we've yet to get to this. And so let me read this, and then we'll recap some other things. In James chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's a really good question to ask. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James clearly says that faith without works is no faith. Faith that is not accompanied by works is really no faith. You might have some kind of cognitive assent or some theological belief, but faith without it actually transforming your life is not real faith, James says. Faith minus works is no faith. Maybe this is a way that you can remember it. Faith minus works is no faith. He would go on to say in the next part of that in verse 19, I don't think you have these. Feel free, uh, Terrence, if you want to add those last few verses, 18, 19, 20. In verse 19, uh, James 2, he used the illustration of the demons. You believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. Even the demons believe, but, but they're not going to spend eternity in, in heaven with the children of God and the angels that are, air, uh, that are there constantly praising God. Faith minus works is no faith. Then the other danger is a faith plus works is a false faith. 
There are many that say that you have to have faith plus something else. The entire book of Galatians is about this. Faith plus circumcisions that they would say, or faith plus a place, a, spe- a specific place to worship, or faith plus some kind of miraculous sign in your life. Faith plus something they would say is real faith, but James would say, no, 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 that's, that's a false faith. But real faith, authentic faith, is faith leading to works. Faith leading to works is an authentic faith. Now, if you look at the James, James as a whole, and it's not a really long book, you know, just, uh, just five chapters, and you, you would do well to, uh, to read it again. And as you do that, and I did that this week, just underline all the imperatives in the book of James. He gives us 54 imperatives of him answering this question. Oh, you want to know if your faith is a real faith, authentic faith, not just cognitive assent, not just theological belief, not just morality. If you want to know your faith is a real, real faith, and he just starts listing them. I mean, the whole book of James is about, well, then your life will be changed on the inside and you'll display this kind of fruit. I just wrote down just a few of these that I remembered, not even reading through it, just, just that we would have joy in trials. That real faith would have joy in trials, not because of the trial themselves, but because of what it's producing in us. It's producing endurance. It's conforming us into the image of Christ. That we would be a people of wisdom, that we would be steadfast, that we would have a reputation of not blaming God and not being the victim of everything. That we would be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry, that we would put away filthiness and worldliness. That we as Christians would receive the word of God, that we would be doers, not just hearers. Not just coming in and hearing it, but because the word of God would bring with it conviction and direction that we would leave here and we would actually... We would reorient our life around obedience to the word of God, walking with God and obeying him. That we would be very careful to bridle the tongue. That with authentic faith, that we would visit the orphans and the widows, the least and the lost of our society, that we would spend time serving them, that we wouldn't be friends with the world, James says. Don't be friends with the world. Don't show partiality. Love your neighbor. Show mercy. Grieve with those who are grieving. Weep with those who are weeping. On and on we could go. Again, 54 of them, he says. What is the nature of true faith? This is not a contrast between faith and deeds, but a contrast between true and false faith. The true faith is going to result in a changed life, James says. It's going to result in real fruit. The false faith will result in a fruitless life. One theologian I was reading called this a cheap faith. A cheap faith is a faith that's in a theological ascent but doesn't change a person's life. And it's, friends, it is such a danger for us to want a comfortable faith. A faith that doesn't push us. If you don't regularly get in God's word and it offends you, you're not reading the same word. A God that believes everything just like you believe it, it's not God at all. You're really trusting in yourself. Many people want to go to heaven, but they refuse to acknowledge the claim that Jesus Christ, our Lord, has on our everyday life. And James says those people will not be in heaven. The people that just want the good and the blessing. The people that just want to go to heaven. They just want a transactional ATM kind of deal with with salvation. Those kind of people never really find Jesus. And here's the core of it. True saving faith always results in a new heart. And that new heart is moved and motivated by the Holy Spirit with a new set of purposes and a new set of goals and a new set of thoughts and a new direction. And there's a new way of living life. Once my life was controlled by what I wanted and my desires and my feelings and those that offended me. But yet after I get a new heart, the Holy Spirit comes and resides and empowers me and changes me in line with the very heart of God. My life now is motivated by my love for God and my love for, for others. That has that always be the fruit of real, saving, authentic faith. 
James understands something significant to this discussion, and that's the human heart. And you can look back in Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will take from them the heart of stone, and I will give them the heart of flesh. That's the salvation transaction, right? A heart of flesh that bleeds and pumps in line with the will and the heart of God. Jesus used a similar example of that of a tree to explain this new heart. He says that a tree will be recognized by its own fruit. That an apple tree is an apple tree from the fruit to the roots, right? It's all about what's in the roots. What's in your heart will ultimately come out of your words. It'll come out of your actions. It'll come out of your behavior, especially during a crisis. When life squeezes you and you're not in the most optimal, optimal, favorable conditions, that's when we see what's really going on in your heart. We see this in the heart of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. With the power to call down all the angels from heaven and obliterate those people. What does he do? He forgives them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. James goes on. Verse 16. And one of, verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If you meet a hungry man or a hungry woman, we serve as a church. We serve the hub every Sunday night and we bring them food. Some group serving tonight. What, whose group is serving tonight at the hub? Okay, Jason's and probably Bo's group. If they show up to you and they all get in line as they do and they walk up to the table and you say, blessings to you, my friend, and then you send them on, that is not going to cure their hunger. If someone is cold and you walk by them and you pray a prayer of blessing on them, James is saying that's not going to warm them. That's, it's silly. Just as it would make no sense to try to feed someone with your words or warm someone with your advice. It makes no sense for someone to say that the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit that raised him from the dead, lives inside of you, and yet it produces no change in your life. That's silly, James says. That's, that's foolish. True saving faith will always result in a life of love. Of course, not perfectly. We all have moments of selfishness. Not perfectly, but increasingly. That you're looking more and more like Jesus Christ as you walk with him. We have moments where we lose the way, make selfish decisions prayerfully. We're convicted quickly by the Holy Spirit that ultimately leads us to repentance. What's the point, Luke? There's a real danger in a belief that a comfortable faith is going to save you. Just as warm words will not bring warmth to the person who is cold, warm words will not gain you eternal life. Just as words to a hungry man are useless in the same way a bogus faith to a man is useless. True faith is demonstrated by fruit. So it's the fruit in my life that assures me that the faith in my heart is a real faith. That's inside me, I have a new heart. We got just a few more sermons on this and we'll cover this even more, but I want to pan out just quickly and then pray and then invite Stephen up and we're going to talk about some of this and what's going on. I think there's four things that James talks about, and there's probably more, but there's at least four things that James talks about across the book that the people of God have. If we peer behind the curtain of the true church, 
what are the characteristics of the true church? A group of people, first, that have an eternal hope. They, have etern- they can have joy in James chapter 1 because they have this eternal hope. No matter what situations bring to me, I have a hope that's unshakable because my hope is not in my circumstances. Hey, friends, we're living through a pandemic, and it might get worse. As a matter of fact, the audience that James is writing this to, the scattered church, they had it much worse. But regardless of what the circumstances are, if you've walked through the most trying season of your life, regardless of that, we can have real hope this morning. God says of himself that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we set our hope on things eternal, we can have real hope. These people had eternal hope. These people had this incarnational presence. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is how Paul would describe it. He would later say that it's Christ that is working in me even now. This incarnational presence, this like bent towards action. James says, don't tell me you have religion and that you ignore the orphan and the widow. They had an incarnational presence. You can read through the history books to see how the church reacted in the worst global pandemics in the history of the world. The church was always in the center, serving sacrificially. Their love for God and love for others just poured out to the extent that the lost heathen leaders of the day were writing about them in their history books. What is up with the Christian church? Their incredible sacrificial love towards each other. They had this incarnational presence. They had this love for each other. That you could take people from different political backgrounds and different languages even. And you could put them together in a local church and they would die for each other. This increasing love for each other. James talks about that again and again through this book. And then finally... The church, if you really want to know what the church looks like, there are people of prayer. A great verse in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. My prayer and hope for us as a faith community is that we would be those kind of people. We We would have our hopes set on eternal things. We would be a people of incarnational presence, that we would have this increasing love for each other that is unexplainable in any other aspect but it's the Holy Spirit that's inside of us and we'd be a people of prayer before we check the stats every morning before we read the news before we add one more thought to our brain that we would go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to work mightily let me pray for us real quickly and I'm going to invite Stephen up we talk about how some of this is playing out in his life and his church. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I just pray that you would make much of yourself even today as we've gathered. Lord, I just pray that there's people in this room that have played religious games a very long time. There's no real true faith inside of them. And I just pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, even now, would you, would you make them aware of that? Would you bring conviction? Would you woo them unto yourself? Would they see you as you really are. For others who've just got such shallow roots that the crisis of our day has exposed just the shallowness of their faith. They have a real faith, but it is just not deeply rooted. Or would they be passionately inspired to chase after you once again? And Lord, I pray for the lost world around us. Lord, when they peek inside the church, they see a church of people with real hope. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Okay, Stephen, come on up, man. Come on up. Y'all welcome, Stephen. For those of you who know or this is kind of the, we're excited you're here, man. It's good to be here. And you look kind of like half of yourself. I know, I lost myself. You lo- how much I weight did my, you lose? About 90 pounds. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, we're out of food in New Orleans pandemic, so <laughs> we're just bread, where we can find bread, we eat some of that. Okay, so yeah. I, uh, I got you a little basket, Okay. and I'm calling this the Church Planter uh, Corona Survival <laughs> Guide, okay? Nice. And it's got a lot of coffee. I don't even think you drink coffee. You drink yeah, coffee? Morgan does. All Morgan time. does, yeah. So I'm bless, a social drinker. Bless her. Coffee. Bless her with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And good. then a couple other things. Um, uh, this is for date night. Oh, this is money oh. you can only spend on date night. So yeah, if sure. Morgan, if you're watching this, hold She's, him. Yeah, streaming. So hold him to yeah, this yeah. Uh, date night just for her. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, this is a Best Buy gift card to like, you know, up your digital game in the midst of Corona. Yeah. So buy a camera that's or awesome. something. Or yeah. You probably can't buy much with this, but, you know, buy a phone case. <laughs> buy a phone case with this. Um, and this is a check from our church uh, to kind of go just to support. You know, we, we support you monthly, yeah. but I want to yeah. just... I want you to feel like, like uh, this is still your church, yeah. right? Making me like emotional. Your home church. Yeah. I want you to feel like that. Yeah. And um, I want our people to feel like, uh, like the mission and the winds and the kingdom of God expanding in New Orleans is part of our, is part of our winds. Yeah. Like that we see this thing happening. Yeah. So you're messing me up, man. I was so focused sorry, and ready to talk, sorry. and now I feel emotional. Okay, and stuff. it's okay. So um, I cried. I cried last week. Um, <laughs> Jason has been gone for three weeks, so I had to take over the crying for a little bit. <laughs> That's good. Um, he'll he, be back up next week, guys. We can, Jason is an excellent spiritual crier. He is. He really is. <laughs> Just the right moments. Um, some of these people don't know you. Tell us. Uh, tell us about your. Um, tell us about uh, Morgan and the family. Yeah. So Stephen Partain. I'm married to Morgan Partain for nine years. I always have to double check. Right. It's nine years. It's been hey, pandemic. just just wondering, uh, who made the first move? You and uh, Morgan. Oh, I did. Oh, you did. For okay. Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I just was persistent until she gave in. Okay. So that's um, good. That's how it normally works. Yeah. Okay. So, and actually, she liked somebody else at first when I thought she liked me. Okay. But just with full confidence, I stepped in there, and it worked out. There you go. So started just claiming things. Just claiming it. Okay. Man, I mean, claiming it, right? Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so. And your kids. It's a three kids. So Ava, she's going to be eight in September. Okay. And she is uh, incredible, super smart. It's always like kind of the mom of the three little girls taking care of everybody. My middle one, Riley, feels passionately about everything. She'll be seven in December. And she had been doing dance and now she wants to do gymnastics. She'll athlete type. Okay. And Liv, who'll be four in November, is just a wrecking ball of a human being. Okay. Um, she just jumps on things and yells and screams and growls and flexes her muscles. Okay. Um, and she's a lot of fun. But okay. She's a very energetic kid. So, yeah, that's kind of our crew. That's cool. Yeah. And um, how are they, how's your family handling the pandemic? I know at one point New Orleans was a hot spot and y- yeah. y'all shut down before even yeah. I think we did and... Yeah, I mean, so right in the beginning, we were right up there with New York as the intensity of hitting, you know, we shut down, like, I think by May, by March 25th or something, it was just total shutdown. Um, and so, as a family, we're doing pretty good. I mean, I'm the extrovert of the family, and okay. Morgan's the introvert. So, she's loving it. So, like, for three months, she was fine anyway. She just has to put yeah. up with you 24-7. She has to do with me. Yep. Um, and so, really good. Um, school was kind of crazy at the end. I think we're going to homeschool for this year. We're just tapping out for a year. Okay. And then we'll figure it out the year afterwards. Right. Uh, so we started some of that already. So we're in a good place. We've had a lot of good family time. I think when you're a church planner and entrepreneurial and driven, you can get into a place where you're just like always going. Right. And then when this hits, you can't go anywhere. Right. And God begins to sort of like work on you and expose some things. Yeah. And I think it's been good for us, a lot of family time and we're in a good place, like us five in particular, in yeah. a good place cool. as a family. Yeah. Um, some people might be unfamiliar with church planting. I mean, you know, we planted 10 years ago almost, yeah. almost 10 years. Um, why church planting? You had yeah. served and been offered several positions on staff at other places. Why, why did you choose church planting as your next thing? Yeah, because the kingdom of God and the gospel just compels us to go to places where people are not hearing about Christ and not being served. People are not getting the food and being told about Jesus and not getting the coats and being told about Jesus. And so, I mean, really, it's just the picture of the gospel. Um, it depends on where God calls us, but we should be open to go anywhere um, to bring the good news. And I think that church planning in particular is the best way to see not just evangelism happen, but discipleship happen. So people can hear the gospel and then be formed into a community. And then you just kind of keep that DNA going on. And so in a lot of ways, we are really just the spiritual children as grace of covenant. You know, like it's just like this continual pattern of God 
And then we talk about one day us helping someone else plant a church sure. and that being a granddaughter church of right. covenant. And so it's just the, the gospel calls yeah. us to that. Yeah, one, our, one of our goals from the beginning, even before you came along and um, God stirred in your heart what you were doing, one of our hopes as we kind of prayed initially in the initial days that we would be a church planting hub, mm-hmm. um, but that we would see uh, great-granddaughter churches being planted. So, right, so we plant you, you plant another, they plant one. It's like uh, missional DNA woven. We're not trying to build the biggest and next buildings. Uh, Nothing's wrong with buildings. Uh, If we were favored like you were and someone gave us one, you know. It's still um, kind of yeah, keep kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, it hadn't happened um, to us. But um, I'll send some good good vibes. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, tell uh, Tell me why New Orleans? Yeah, so um, for us, you know, I had done school down there, and basically we knew we loved the city, enjoyed the city, um, but probably six or seven years ago, we just, I was working in California quite a bit, so back then we were talking about maybe the Bay Area or L.A. or something, and, you know, West Coast kind of sounded nice with, like, weather and stuff, and, uh, but, man, we got into New Orleans, and we were driving down Esplanade Avenue, and we both just stopped talking, which if you know me, I don't stop talking very right, often. Right. And we just had this moment. We looked at each other and we go, like, yeah, God's called us here. And it's not even just to plant a church. Like, this is our home. Right. Like, this is, so, like, it's kind of funny. Like, we talk about New Orleans as home now. Covenant really is the place we feel like home we come back, to be right, honest. Sure. To see our family, which is like home. Yeah. But, like, this is home for us when yeah. we come back. But this was like, this is our place. Right. These are our people. And then yeah. since then, there's, like, it's not a discussion of where we're going to be. It's just how are we going to do this? Yeah. Um, so God just gives us that clarity that in times like this, the clarity of your call makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. You know? yeah, it'd be, yeah. It'd be much easier to run to the country somewhere. And, it would, you know. sure. And also New Orleans is like the greatest city as well. It's Deba- the best city. but okay. It, well, he's got some issues there. He's, <laughs> he's working through. It's the best city and the worst city at the same time. Okay. Explain what that it's, means. It's full of like the best culture and food, most interesting human beings that exist. Okay. But also at the same time, it's got deep brokenness and sin and violence and poverty and just complete you know, unhinged morality. So it's just this strange combination of a wonderful place, but a very broken place. Yeah. Yeah. Go a little deeper into that. Most of us know New Orleans, um, uh, the French Quarter, we visit there. Sure. Um, tell us about the ethos of the brokenness of the city, really. Mm. Yeah, I think that um, when we talk about hope and that idea, I think that especially the last 15 years, I mean, I told Jason earlier, you know, post-Katrina, you know, it took a while for things to get back on track. And then even in the last year, there have been articles about like New Orleans is booming, we're building all this stuff, the economy is doing great, the most tourists, and now it's just all gone. And it's not going to come back for a long time. And so... There's just a hopelessness that, like people that live in the Ninth Ward, so we're in the Bywater Upper Ninth Ward, that have been there for generations and have never, they've never really seen anybody keep their word in the government or in a lot of churches or nonprofits that come in with the best intentions. And so in reality, I think people, like, don't even have the basis to understand what hope could be. Um, You know, so we have people, like, we used to live by some folks that, like, domestic violence is just normal. Like she would have uh, her boyfriend pull a gun on her multiple times, run to our house, and then three months later, they're back together. Right. Um, and that's not abnormal. That's just part of our history. That's just how we live in New Orleans. Um, even on our street, you know, people that um, are addicted, like the other day a guy came to my front door, he asked for the Rev. But you know, if somebody asks for the Rev, you know that you're going to ask for something. <laughs> and he's been addicted to heroin on and off for a long time. And he's trying to get some money. So you know, he wants food. And so I, I go to make some food and he tries to get money. But I know that, he, that he's been addicted to heroin. Right. And so we just have these people that have had such deep brokenness and sin that we're trying to like do these acts of love and service and justice to help them begin to see some hope and share the gospel. But many times you feel like there's so much you have to help unravel just to get to, like, the baseline to agree on what hope could be. Right. If that makes sense. It does. It's like a bigger... So how, 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 what approach have you taken as a church planter 
yeah. planting a beacon of hope when people don't even know what hope is. Yeah. How, what, is what has been your approach in moving to the city? Yeah. I know you've been there, what, almost three years over now? Thro- over over three, three years now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think that the incarnational presence thing that you're talking about earlier is essential. Um, when Jesus, Jesus could have shown up and then immediately died on a cross for our sins. Sure. Right? He could have just shown up and died on the cross and resurrected, and I'm sure it still would have been good. Right. But he chose to live an entire life with people, like in human flesh, and deal with their struggles and their life. And like he wasn't distant, he was a part of it. Right. And I think that God, you talked about the comfortable faith. A lot of times we see brokenness and we think that God may want us to pull away from brokenness. I think that where brokenness is, that is where God is moving and that God calls us into that brokenness. And so we just try to step in with people and relationships, step into um, spaces where like we may not agree on everything or we may have like, you know, we always joke that, you know, like where we're at and what we believe, like we're just, we're the strangest combination of people because we're talking to people and we agree on so many things. Like we're trying to do good stuff in our neighborhood, but it's because Jesus was God in the flesh and died and resurrected. And people just don't know what to do with that. Yeah. But that is where all the power is. That's where all the transformation is. Um, and so for us, this has been relationships as missionaries and even like the folks that have served in like missionary capacity, trying to build some shared language to talk about what grace is, what faith is, who the gospel means. And so I think it's just a lot of relational investment, not coming on top of people as their judge, but beside them as their servant right. and saying, like, I'm trying to show you the gospel and show you Christ. How have people responded to the gospel message there since you've been there? Yeah, we've had good response. We've had our first two baptisms during okay. the pandemic, which wow. has been awesome. That's cool. Yeah, I did with gloves on and everything. Okay. You know, it's very, very okay. sterile. Yeah, hazmat suit. <laughs> hazmat <walking>. suit, yeah. <laughs> we, just, we just dunk them from, yeah. uh, from afar now. Right. Like a dunk tank. Yeah, dunk um, tank. That's good. right. Uh, but I think that really, um, so cool thing we we did a kids camp, we had scheduled it for like multiple weeks and then obviously it all just shut down. And so we did a kids camp and one of our neighbors who had met and then moved in, they're from the West coast musicians and we had met and you know, people go, what do you do? And so I'm always like, I have a way I get to that. I'm like, right. well, I work in nonprofit. I'm in nonprofit work. Right. Sure. <laughs> and, and I get to like, and I talk about the stuff we're doing for the good of the neighborhood. And I go, and I help pastor a community church. I try to, because I know what they're thinking. So at first he's a little bit standoffish, but recently he came up and he wanted to help teach drums to the kids at kids camp. And he told me he's a Jewish Buddhist, okay. which I'm not really sure how those things okay. work together, but that's just kind of his deal. Right. Um, but he said he feels this draw to do something that matters, okay. to do something that's good. And so he's like, and he said, I think the word mitzvah, like he talked about the idea in Jewish theology or whatever. I was like, great, we'd love to have you help, you know, teach the kids. And so we were standing on the, the front of the church afterwards and mass the whole nine, right? And I said, got in this kind of gospel conversation. I said, it's very freeing to admit that I'm a sinner. I was talking about myself. He goes, why would you say that? And I go, because I can't fix myself. No matter what I do, how hard I work, I can't fix myself. Only God can fix me. So I think admitting that I'm a sinner is very freeing because I, I can stop trying to make it up myself. Right. And he was like, I've never thought of it that way. I was like, yeah, man, I think it's a very freeing message. And I could just kind of tell these wheels are turning. Right. And, and he mentioned coming to church, which, I, you know, for him, is a, like he, that would never be a thing sure. six months ago. There's and so no just, Jewish Buddhist churches yeah, in yeah. the area. We're not, we're, we're, we're pretty Christian, you know, <laughs> okay. we're not really rocking the Jewish Buddhism okay. situation. Um, but I think that just the authentic gospel message and relationship, and we don't judge people. We're not harsh to people, but we're also staying in the gospel. Right. And we're trying to share that humbly, but like clearly. And so we've seen, so that's been a great awesome. open door just recently. So I'm praying for, I think we're gonna have less money and more baptisms. Okay as a church. Yeah. It feels like those two things are definitely going to happen. Well, and that's kind of what I'm, I think what God may be doing in all of this. Yeah. It takes, um, just as I've been talking to other pastors, um, you know, I help on the side, run a church planting network and we've got, oh, 200, 250 pastors maybe in our network. Um, and the three things that I'm hearing from most pastors, um, one, just, I just can't do this anymore. I did not sign up for this. Um, when I heard one pastor explain it this way, 
like I signed up for the marathon, which is hard to do. And (laughs) then I run across the line and they tell me, oh, now you have to bike. And then later there's a swim, right? It's like, the Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, it's really the Iron Man. <laughs> and these pastors are like, I just, I just don't think I can do this anymore. Yeah. Um, there's another group that they're just so, uh, man, just so beat up and discouraged that they think uh, there's just so much broken in our world right now that mm. has come to fruition through the pandemic, yes. through uh, uh, social injustice. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, there's, there's three or four major things that have happened Altogether. and, and they say, yeah. there's just so many problems. There's no way I can deal with them. I yeah. just need things to get back to normal so that I can start dealing with them. And then there's a third thing I'm hearing a lot from pastors is just, you know, my emotions are just yo-yos. Like mm-hmm. I am like up one day and good. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I just don't even know how to leave the house. And as I heard that from them, I thought, you know what, that's not just pastors, that's, uh-uh. that's, any, that's all of us, and some, yeah. right, especially right. if you're in leadership of any kind of, even leading your own family, For sure. right, you're feeling like, man, you know, what am I doing? Every decision <clears throat> is now so much weightier. Yes. <clears throat> you mentioned the school thing, yeah. um, job thing, I mean, every, every decision is not like a quick answer, um, yeah. you know, it takes a lot. So, do you identify with any of those feelings? What, yeah. How have you specifically been as you've been pastoring through this? So there's probably two levels of answering the question. I would say on one level, the emotional thing, I think we're all going through. Um, so even when, you know, when things first shut down, the joke was kind of like, oh, we're going to come together, going to see things that matter. And like, well, that didn't last very long, right? And so now it's like all the, the brokenness. I think we're all becoming very authentic at the same time. Like it's very hard to fake things right now. Right. It's very hard to like put on a show. And we're being authentic. We're like, oh, we're all really bad people. At, <laughs> like, we're, we're really messed up. Right. Like, we're made in God's image, and he loves us. But, man, we got some real issues to work through. And so I think the emotions of pastoring people. And um, I feel like a lot of times I have folks that I'm trying to keep from running to the edges on all sides, you know, and conversations where I'm trying to keep people grounded in the gospel and in and, and the word of God. And right now that seems just very difficult, and it's very emotionally exhausting. Um, and even like at, in a conversation when one person thinks I'm a liberal and one person thinks I'm a fundamentalist, you know, like in the same day. Sure. And I'm talking about let's like work on racial injustice. And they're just like, you need to get off politics. And I'm like, what's the Bible? <laughs> and the other side, you know, it's like, you know, whatever you're like, you're being way too conservative on like sexual ethics. Or and I'm sitting here going like, I just want to follow the word of God. Right. And let's do that together. And, and so those are the things that are exhausting right now. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to be just cultivating intimacy with the Lord yeah. and that my identity is not in what I do right. because if that was the case, it'd be really tough, Sure. but it's in that Christ has loved me, has died for me and I am secure in him and right. nothing can touch that. Right. Um, and so, but you need other people to remind you of that over time. And so and my wife helps me, Sure. you know, and sometimes you just got to take a nap. <laughs> Naps, naps just like sometimes like it's like four o'clock and it's like it's the 20th Monday in a row in your mind yeah and you're like I'm just gonna go to sleep right and wake back up and try it again yeah you so know. recently I took a, a study break and I was off for three weeks and um, I was coming back that Monday and I thought man I'm just gonna kill it I'm gonna work 12 hours I got 4,000 emails I'm just gonna we're gonna at the end yeah. of the day the email inbox yeah. is gonna be empty yeah. we're gonna work through it I made it like five hours and yeah. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so I go yeah. home and Ash is like, why are you home so early? I was like, yeah. babe, I just need a nap. So yeah. um, same thing. Agreed. And it, you know, it does help you stay yeah. in the game. So, so I think, so that I think has been the tougher part. I'm also really, really hopeful about the future. Okay. Um, I think that the end's already written, right? And so sure. I know that the kingdom of God is going to prevail, but I think we're in a time of where chaos brings opportunity and innovation and change. We like, I think God is doing something. He's obviously on the move right. and trying to figure out, like, how can I step into the move of the Spirit? So I think God, like, the, I think the actual church of Jesus is going to do great. Our structures and other things seem to be not doing so great. But, right. like, I'm very encouraged about what God is going to do, you know. What is the crisis in the church right now from your perspective? It's a crisis of discipleship, 100%. Explain that. So we, we have been so discipled by our culture and by our politics, and by, I mean, you can almost suss out, like, what people listen to or watch, or what they have been engaged by, more so than the Word of God, 
And like you said, the word of God should challenge all of us. If I ever think that I have Jesus nailed down, I am not reading Jesus very well. Right. Like he challenges all of us. Right. And all of us have to submit to his lordship. And I think that we're just showing that like we're being discipled by other things around us so often that we need the Lord to actually pull us back in and go like, what would he have me do? We always talk about like, you know, we look back at past generations and like where they got things wrong or right. And we go, how do people just get so off track in whatever direction? But then we end up doing the same things. And so we need to be more honest with ourselves and say like, how can like my children be disciples in the word of God, following the spirit and like not let these other forces just run me off course. Right. Um, but I think it's just showing that like we, the American church generally, we've, we've been good at building structures and churches and great events, but our discipleship has been pretty, pretty, like, how, would, pretty how would you define what discipleship is then? I would say someone that at their deepest levels is being formed by the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that the teachings and the lordship of Jesus is ultimate above political affiliation, above like where you work, above what your family thinks about things like that Jesus is our Lord. Right. And wherever he's teaching and saying in scripture, like we just go where he goes. And it, it feels like um, right now we're, we're all kind of being exposed, including me, on the things that I am not submitting to Jesus about. And um, I think it's an opportunity for repentance and growth. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really exciting about what God can do if we just open that up and go, I'm just going to, I'm going to follow Jesus. It sure. sounds simple. Right. But it is not simple. Right. Um, There's that so. beautiful uh, picture in the book of Revelations and uh, the letters of Jesus to the church where he names, he exposes them of everything that was wrong, right? Yeah, you know, sure. good doctrine, but no love for him. Right. Uh, it looked like the world on and on. He lists them. And then he says that I stand at the door and knock, mm-hmm. right? Writing, writing to the church. The church. Yeah. Somehow they had pushed Jesus outside the church. Which is a bad idea. Which is a bad idea. Yeah. And he says, uh, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone yeah. would come to me and open the door, I will come in with him, mm-hmm. right? And have dinner with him, basically, like, yeah. you know. And I think that's the invitation, really, to the church right now. I do agree with the crisis of discipleship. I think um, this crisis is exposing what our hope has really been in all the time. Yeah. Not, not what we said it was in, but what it was really in. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's this time, well, I think it's in John 6, where Jesus, is, uh, where Jesus feeds them all right. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then he goes on the other side, and they all come over to, to find him again. Yeah. And, you know, basically like, yeah. hey, you know, the fish snack was great yesterday. You know, what, how about some Taco Bell today <laughs> or whatever it was, right? Like, right. Feed, yeah. feed me again. Yeah. And, and Jesus, and just very truthful words says you don't really want me no. you want the stuff that I bring yeah and he says real disciples are going to actually want me yes they want I am the prize yeah. and he said it in a way that was really weird about eating eating, eating my eating flesh, flesh and drinking my blood yeah um but that's the point and I think that's such encouragement to us that Christianity is really yeah. not that complicated it is really about following after Christ yeah being empowered to the Holy Spirit to extend this hope to the world. Yes. And again, it's yeah. your confession of a sinner. Like this is not a burden on our shoulders. No. Uh, the, only, the only decision we have to make is constant submission yeah. to King Jesus. Right. And when we do that, exactly. he has a plan for New Orleans. He you does. don't have to strategize the plan. No. Right? Well, and the, and the yeah. strategy is not going to be dream, dreamt up on white. And same thing for Bozier and Benton and, uh, and Southeast Asia. Like we don't have to dream right. up the strategy. We have yeah. to walk with Jesus. That's right. And when we walk with him, you know, he can do anything, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we're out of time. Any words of, any words of encouragement for our people? Sure. Anything that God's been sharing with you, you'd just like to share with us? And yeah. We'll, um, just, we'll just end with that and then we'll pray for you. That sounds good. A couple of things probably in my own time praying. So we've gotten our leadership team and staff together and are trying to create more just a culture of prayer where we're going like we don't really always know what to do. Like, I know that pastors are supposed to, like, know everything. Sure. That's not actually true. Right. I mean, you right, and I both right. know that. <laughs> and so we're going, okay, like, God, show us where to step in and what to do. Right. And in that time of prayer, sometimes I'm asking the question to the Lord, and I sense, like, him on my heart saying, like, oh, my God, what do you want? He's like, I want you. Right. Like, I want my church. Like, all of this is really meant to, like, 
attach us back to the heart of the Father. Yeah, it's so good. And so a lot of this has been like, if God strips everything, if everything goes, is he worth it? It's like, yes. Right. Right. I mean, like all the things that we have are, are great resources, but if it's all gone, Jesus is still worth it and he's yeah. still enough. Um, and I think that's also parlayed into um, in John 10, uh, 10, 27. And this is something that's been in my, my head a lot. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has all given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And just, I think there's a lot of voices that we're hearing, and there's probably pieces of truth in different voices on different places. But we have to hear the voice of God. And I'm not saying that like, you know, you're a shower tomorrow and you hear a voice speaking and you think, <laughs> okay, this is God. But that the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. Right. And he'll lead us into the way of Jesus. Yeah. And we have to just be in a really healthy way, just like absolutely committed to that. Yeah. And God, God can use that. And we can't be snatched out of his hand. We can't be rocked or destroyed. Right. And so I think for, like for us and our church right now, it's like whatever the Spirit wants us to do, we're going to step with the Spirit. Yeah. And we're going to pray and we're going to be together and discern. But like we are, all the other, everything's on the table. Right. And that's a scary place to be, but it's like, that's literally what God told us to do. Right. All through scripture, is sure. it here? It's all here, do with it what you want. And if we do it a couple times, we think, well, I've done that before. Right. And that was kind of the early stage Christianity. Now I can just have a good, right. you know, I've been in this thing for a while. I, I, need, I need a break. And it's like, no, actually the rest comes to be connected to Jesus. Yeah. The rest of all this is not in like having a vacation, even though vacations are good. Sure. It's actually in God being with us. Yeah. You know, so. That's great. Yeah. Will you will you pray um, sure. for Covenant Church, just that very thing, and then I'm going to pray for you in grace. Yeah. Would you pray that we would listen to the voice of Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, in a very religious culture, you know the culture here? Sure. Um, where it's all about uh, attendance and if you show up at the right place and write the right checks and serve at the right moment, mm. there's this uh, false understanding that you're actually following God. Yeah. When you're really just being religious at that point. Sure. Not that those things are bad. Those things are good. But my prayer for our church is that we would just be really changed from the inside. Mm. And that we would have this like desperate devotion to Jesus. Yeah. And we would be so enamored with him. Yeah. That when we got together, there would be just this life Mm. oozing through it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it wouldn't matter the songs we sing or the environment we create. Our hearts would be just... With God. Yeah. Yeah. So would you pray that for us? And I'm going to pray for Grace too. Yeah. And what y'all are doing. Go ahead. Lord, we we sit here together um, as your people Mm -hmm. and sit here in Covenant Church. And and God, I thank you for the faithfulness and the investment and the kingdom focus of Covenant from the very beginning and how that's played out for Grace and who we are. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would bring spiritual renewal as they are supporting and giving and as they've been so instrumental in our life and work and church and the gospel going forward. Lord, that through that, there would be a renewal of your spirit, that there would be a focus on the things that matter, that you would deeply embed your word and a, a commitment to follow the spirit wherever the spirit leads. Lord, th- there's nothing else ultimately that should shape us more than you. Mm. And Lord, would you shape covenant into yourself? You, you actually set it up for them to be conformed to the very image of Jesus. That is the point of this entire thing, is that we would reflect Christ. Lord, would you do that today? Would you bring joy back in people that have lost joy? Mm. Would you bring peace where people are ha- having peace? Would you bring restoration in relationships where people feel strained? God, would you work in families where there's been brokenness and there's been tension? Lord, would you bring the kingdom out in people's lives? That this is not just about a gathering on a Sunday, even though this is a wonderful thing. It's about the life of God in this body, Mm. the work of the Holy Spirit. And then I pray that covenant would just continue to be a place of of gospel work, but also gospel peace. 
Um, and even in this culture and in the city, in this part of the state, um, there's a uniqueness to the calling of this church. And Lord, would you let it just grow into the fullness of that and mature into what you have covenant to be? And Lord, I pray that um, the glory wouldn't be because it was a good decision or good strategies or some good calls, but it was just simply the power of God at work. Mm. Lord, bring renewal, bring restoration, and continue to use covenant for this year, but also for years to come. Mm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I love you. I thank you for my brother Stephen and Morgan and just kiddos. I just pray your blessing upon them. Um, Lord, only you know the cost um, of the oil that was in their jar that they poured out for you when they left what they knew here and moved to a new city and met new friends and um, experienced some real loneliness and some hardship that many people never know about. Um, Even the spiritual warfare that he battles, being on the front lines, Lord, I pray protection over him and his family. I pray for, even as he prayed for us, that you would give him just this supernatural peace and fervor. Mm. Lord, that he would have more passion this coming year than he had last year. He would have more energy and more effort, and uh, he would just feel like um, we're just energized through your spirit. I pray for grace in this church and, um, Lord, what they're doing uh, in a city that doesn't know what hope looks like. Lord, those words just are so haunting to me. I pray that grace becomes the brightest beacon of hope. Lord, is he seeking to serve his city and serve the homeless and serve the broken and serve the addicted um, and serve the hungry. Lord, and with all of that, um, share your beautiful good news of the gospel of reconciliation through your son, Jesus. So I just pray for them. Lord, I pray for the next next church plant that's going to come from grace Um, and the one from that and Lord that we would see your kingdom extended around the world um, because of a call um, on the heart of um, some people even now as they listen it's in Jesus mighty name that we pray